0: might be a Viking, or a Saxon, or
1: a Roman But tell me, do you like him? Would you sex him? Would you bone him? Would you go to bed with King Ethelred? Would you bunk William
0: the Conqueror up in the sheets with Samuel Pepys? Mussolini was a meanie, led a fascist insurrection But does he make you creamy? Does he give you an erection?
1: Would you pork Richard the Duke of York? Does a
0: bonus start when you think of Bonaparte? Are you sexually aroused at the thought of Pol Pot? Historical Hot or Not? Hello and welcome to Historical Hot or Not, the only history podcast that looks at the life and times of history's most celebrated figures and says, yes, but would you? It's the pod parchment that puts the dick in Pope Benedict V, we put the ass in President Barras. And the wood in Elizabeth Woodville. Actually, Edward IV did that. I am your co-host, Aidan McCaffrey. I am not a historian, and
1: this is... Catherine Mather, who is also very much not a historian.
0: But we are comedians, and we are horny for history. Kath. I understand you just got back from a historical city in Europe. You've just been to Vienna, right?
1: I have just been to Vienna. And uh, I'll be honest with you, this podcast has been brought to you by Food Poisoning, (laughs) uh, the nation's favourite weight loss supplement. I had a lovely time in Vienna, very nice place. Uh, Not quite as interesting a place as I was led to believe, but that's, that's alright. I am very aware that the person I went to visit in Vienna listens to this podcast, so <laughs> hello Enzo. Um, <laughs> but it had a lovely time uh, seeing my friends, uh, made myself a cheese sandwich uh, just before the return journey and gave myself food poisoning. And what a seven-hour journey that was.
0: What did you butter the bread with?
1: Salmonella? Yeah, yeah, I think that's where I went wrong. I've thrown up in every toilet and not toilet from Vienna to London. It did give me an extra day off work, which meant that I could write this episode. So you're (laughs) welcome, I guess. You know,
0: it was either either you do the podcast healthy, but you've written nothing and it's awful. Or you Mm -hmm. do the podcast feeling like death but you actually have written some content for us to talk about.
1: Yeah, as you listen to this, I need you to imagine me taking regular vomit breaks. I
0: mean, I'm glad you said that, and not regular shit breaks. I don't really want to think about you pooing, calf.
1: No, that's okay. I, I get that. I mean, if you want to sort of do a sing-along uh, when you're listening, perhaps you could, I don't know, pause the podcast, just go and have a little throw-up.
0: Is this sing-along, am I singing about what you're doing? Am I like going... Catherine Matha, firing it out of both ends. Catherine Matha, firing (laughs) it out of both ends. Am I doing that?
1: Sure, if you want to. I will. I'm sure David Eagle would make a wonderful track out of you just doing that.
0: Catherine Matha, firing (laughs) it out of both ends. Um, Uh,
1: What's the worst food poisoning journey you've ever had?
0: You queue that up almost like you already know the answer, Kath.
1: Almost (laughs) as if we had this conversation yesterday whilst it was happening to me.
0: I'm sure you listeners think all this, uh, thinking, God, that conversation, it's so off the cuff, it's so well improvised. it's brilliant. (laughs) Literally, we had a great chat on WhatsApp about shitting. Uh And I said, let's repeat this verbatim for the front. (laughs) We have. Yeah, we are all but reading off a projection of the script on the walls in our respective uh, apartments. (laughs) Uh, Well, I think I can best you at the risk of doing one-upmanship because you flew back, right?
1: I did fly back, yeah. Because
0: I went to Ukraine in 2016. I think I got the food poisoning off just a regular old salad. You couldn't fly directly into Ukraine at that point, so we had flown into Zhezhov in Poland got a uh, four-hour coach over the border, got picked up at the station and then got driven into the countryside to this, uh, my wife's family's farm where they lived. Which meant that I basically went through the whole weekend fine. Then just as we were leaving like, sorry, we weren't in the farm, we were in the apartment at this point in the city. I was leaving the apartment, top floor of this apartment block, about to step in the elevator. I said, excuse me a moment, walked out onto the balcony and vomited everywhere. <laughs> over
1: the balcony or on the balcony?
0: I have vomited on the balcony because okay. it a, it's a weird uh, Sophie's choice this because do I vomit <laughs> on the balcony and then they have to clean it up or do I vomit over the balcony and someone gets like a nice chunky rain vomit for, out of my mouth? An innocent passerby and I figured... I'll leave something for them to clear up. It felt like it was yeah. the best option. Mm-hmm. And I had had a spot of uh, the back end problem earlier, which I dismissed.
1: Yeah, we always do.
0: Yeah, you just think it's a one-off. But mm. in a way, it's proof that we humans are optimists. That <laughs> that happens. And we think it's a one-off, nothing to worry about, carry on, business as normal. But by the vomiting stage, I knew nothing wasn't business as normal. And I basically spent the next 12 hours of transit, uh, a third of which was bus, third of which was plane, and the remainder of which was like getting back from Gatwick or wherever to where we lived in London. Just firing that off both ends. Oh,
1: man. And
0: This is true. There was 30 Orthodox uh, Jewish guys on the plane, and they, as soon as the light went off for the seatbelt, they got up and they started milling around the walkway like it was a, a sixth form common room, just chatting, <laughs> which wouldn't have bothered me in any other circumstance, <laughs> except <laughs> I needed a clear runway between mm-hmm. my seat and the bathroom at all moments of this journey. And they denied <laughs> it to me. And oh, uh, it, was very, it was very unpleasant. And it sort of made me briefly anti-Semitic. I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be that guy, but it's only those guys, isn't it, that are standing up. I told this to a Jewish friend and, and her response was, as in a non-Orthodox Jewish friend, and she went, yeah, those guys, they're always assholes. So <laughs> I feel marginally less bad about judging them.
1: Food poisoning, so bad. It makes you hate an entire race of people.
0: It really did, and then as soon as I was like back in my bed, I went back to being just a regular Jew loving bastard that I am.
1: <laughs> See, I asked my housemate, who I was travelling with, to kill me. And <laughs> <if> you? <laughs> well, maybe
0: you had it worse then because I never wanted to die; I just wanted another race to die. Whereas you were like, "No, I want myself to die."
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I am glad he didn't in retrospect. I'm glad he didn't but at the time I really resented him for saying no like it is better for both of us that he didn't <laughs> I was so angry and I think he didn't fully understand the uh, the gravity of the situation until I got off the airplane uh, looking like a pajama case <laughs> just <laughs> just empty Did
0: you do find out who your friends are during uh, a gastroflu I'll say that right
1: <laughs> you really do
0: each week, Kath and I take it in turns to present to each other a historical figure. And we do an initial superficial assessment. We look at their prof pic on the historical dating app ETrothed, And then we get into their life and times. We decide if their personality is bangable. And at the very end of it, we put it all together and we say, are you going to bang them? And are they going to go on the bio tap that stream?" That's the format. And this week, it's Kath's turn. Kath, who have you got for me today?
1: I feel like today's person of interest historical figure that i've got for you I, I i do feel like i need to have a little bit of a content warning on this <laughs> episode because there is there is so much death ed um specifically of of children kath is this going to be
0: would i bang myra hindley because if not
1: <laughs> oh glad i'm have to rewrite it <laughs> <laughs> yeah insincerity if that is something that is your is a a trouble hang up now (laughs) if not let's fucking go pal (laughs) so it's mary she is 53 and she's from camden by the
0: way you can you can play along now with this if you want because in the podcast notes there should be a link to the the picture we're looking at yeah i'm looking at etros i'm opening my etros app. so only in the olden times did women have those particularly sloped shoulders did you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> I swear every naked lady shoulder I've seen has sort of been horizontal and you could run parallel with the horizon in some form. But like in, in olden times, women seem to have these off-ramp shoulders. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That you could quite comfortably skate that board down if you were Ant-Man.
1: Mm-hmm. It was to get the child out of the vaginal canal better people were shipped like torpedoes whereas now we've got uh, advances in in medicine and, and it doesn't matter as much anymore
0: once they invented forceps our shoulders are locked back into position
1: we could wear a rucksack again
0: <laughs> yeah exactly
1: would i i mean my instincts
0: know it's like a mouth is slightly too close to a nose you've got really sad eyes
1: to be fair you'd have sad eyes if you'd lived a fucking life <laughs> Quite
0: nice hair though. Her hair's a bit 1920s, it's a bit flapper girl.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And flapper girls, they're quite sexy. Also, her waist looks, and unless I'm misreading what she's wearing, her waist looks tiny. Or is that like some kind of satchel on the front of her dress?
1: I think that that is like something, perhaps a belt or something.
0: Because it kind of looks like she's got these shoulders that slope off to infinity, and yet <laughs> somehow the belt buckle that she appears to be wearing is like the width of her neck. So, (laughs) if that's the case, she's the most weirdly proportioned woman I've ever seen in my life.
1: (laughs) Infinity shoulders, like an infinity pool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but for the top half of the body. I'm going to say no, a provisional no. Okay. I mean, having said that, if her life's as miserable as you say it is, she's doing a not bad job of putting on a happy face. She's almost smiling.
1: Yeah, because I would say yeah from this picture. I'd have a go.
0: I'm much more superficial than you, Kath.
1: Yeah, fair fucks, to you. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Shall we find out a bit about her? Yep. Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley was born on the 30th of August 1797 to the author and feminist Mary Wollstonecraft and some guy called William Godwin.
0: <laughs> you can tell this is a feminist podcast by the way you talk about men. Born to this lovely lady and some fucking guy who gives a shit.
1: Yeah, some can um, <laughs> so Mary's mum died when uh, aged 38, 11 days after giving birth to her daughter, of what was known as childbed fever, which a lot of people died of. Uh, it was sepsis caused by an unexpelled placenta and also I don't think that uh, doctors washed their hands in those days so they'd just be like I don't know shitting on their fists and then (laughs) ramming them up a woman (laughs) to pull a baby out and be like, why is it sick? (laughs) I think there was genuinely pushback. Like midwives were like, hey guys, can you please just wash your hands? And they were genuinely pushed back. Doctors are awful. No, doctors are awful. Men are awful.
0: I do think that it's it's feminism gone mad, expecting a doctor to wash his hands before literally putting his hands inside you.
1: Mm, I know. It's wild, right? But here's my question to you, Aidan. Uh, If you had to kill your mum, would you rather do it when you were too young to remember or would you like to wait until you're older and have a fond memory to look back on?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to pick the latter because the amount of times I've had to remind her about that button you press on your remote that switches between HDMI inputs. Mm-hmm. I'm only one of them away from gently pressing that pillow against her face. And I want this. Sat- I want to remember the satisfaction of having done that. Yeah. Having switched the HDMI port to her UV box for the fourth time that week. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to go with the latter option.
1: Okay, that's nice. Uh, See, I think I prefer to not know. Wrong answer,
0: Kath. Wrong answer.
1: (laughs) So, a year after the death of Mary Wollstonecraft, her husband William published Memoirs of the Author of a Vindication of the Rights of Woman. Snappy old title.
0: (laughs) The Spice Girls had the right idea. Girl, girl power.
1: Yeah, keep it snappy.
0: Yeah, can you imagine the Spice Girls like while they're promoting Wannabe '96 going,
1: Vindication of the Power of Women and the Woman Who Voted! <laughs> Doesn't
0: have the same ring to it, does it?
1: No, I don't think you could do a stadium tour on it. Um, it was a sincere tribute to her memory. They were actually quite in love, uh, but it became very scandalous because it talked about her affair. Uh, which was not okay at the time. And I guess not now, but definitely not okay in 1798. Um, But nevertheless, Mary, she was brought up to cherish her mum's memory. So Mary had an older sister called Fanny Imley. (laughs) And after Mary's mother's death, her father, William, didn't feel that he could look after the two girls alone. And he was in a lot of debt. Uh, So when Mary was four, he married Mary Jane Claremont who joined the household with her children Charles and Claire Claremont. Mary did not like her stepmother and neither did most people describing her as quick-tempered and quarrelsome but William was devoted and the marriage lasted. It was suggested that Mary Jane favoured her own children over her two stepchildren. So Aidan what two describing words do you think your wife's friends would use for you? Unhelpful shite <laughs> I'm sitting in a gloriously
0: Renovated lounge Like gloriously like it's beautiful. beautiful It's modern My wife did everything you can see behind <laughs> <laughs> I did literally nothing There's like a wooden frame in that wall Where I bashed it with a hammer For about 40 seconds That's about I'm it and the rest of it, she just did everything. She made everything look nice in here.
1: Yeah. And also a little, a little peek behind the curtain for our listeners. Um, there was times when your wife stopped us chatting. Well, didn't stop us chatting, but was like, <laughs> can you guys stop talking? It's been <laughs> fucking hours and I've got work to do. It cuts
0: two ways. I sometimes had to say to her, please, can you stop constructing an absolutely glorious, beautiful lounge for us to live in? that will add wealth to my life down the line when we sell this. Because me and Catherine Mather are trying to figure out whether we'd ban an archbishop from the 12th century.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's been very gracious. I'll give her that. As
0: as of, as of I to her, I think you'll find.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I'm on her side <laughs> all day, every day.
0: <laughs> oh, you've never even met her and you're like, nope. I don't have to have met her right until now I prefer her to you because who mm-hmm. wouldn't prefer anyone to you exactly <laughs> fair enough i prefer anyone to me historical
1: hot or not Her father described her at age 15 as singularly bold, somewhat imperious and active of mind. Her desire of knowledge is great and her perseverance in everything she undertakes almost invincible. He also sent her to stay with the family of the radical William Baxter near Dundee for a time, writing, I'm anxious that she should be brought up like a philosopher, even a cynic. And it was in Dundee that she began writing. Good daddy. Yeah, yeah. because he didn't have to at the time. Now... Percy Shelley was a radical and estranged from his wealthy aristocratic family because he wanted to do crazy shit like help the poor. What a dick! Awful, awful man. Twenty-one-year-old Percy began meeting the sixteen-year-old Mary in secret at her mother's grave in St. Pancras Old Church graveyard. <laughs> and it was there that they fell in love. <laughs> There's rumour that that's where they she lost her virginity.
0: What against her mum's slap? Yeah. Wow.
1: <laughs> Which I think her mum would approve of, but like. Of all the graves, literally any other grave, please.
0: You know when people get carpet there, mm-hmm. like imagine if one of them just had like the grave imprint <laughs> in their back. So it just sort of said, Joan Walton Craft, 1720 <laughs> to 1780, loving mother, beloved wife, just pressed in red marks against the back for two days. Like, have you been fucking in the cemetery again?
1: <laughs> Stop banging against your mama's grave. <laughs> At least do it against someone else's grave, eh? you're not related Mm. to Christ. Also, today, a new story has come out about the real good guy, Leonardo da Vinci DiCaprio, breaking up with his very young girlfriend. Do you think that 16 and 21 is a troublesome age gap?
0: I don't know, it's weird, because as you get older, and as you know, I'm a bit long in the tooth.
1: Yeah very
0: old you sort of look back at 21 and 16 they just barely seem any different from each other do they mm-hmm. like i remember at school you know when you're like 16 i mean you're in the fifth year of secondary school that's when girls start dating older guys yeah and sometimes it's just like a guy in the year above a guy in the year above that and it sort of seems fine but you sometimes see like 16 year old girls being picked up by their boyfriend who was like 24 would pull up in his Vauxhall courser to pick up his girlfriend from school. And though there's nothing illegal about it because she's technically legal, it's so creepy. And I've, it always stuck in my mind because I always remember, I always think, well, what, I wouldn't date a 16-year-old. But to drive to school and pick her up, not—he doesn't even have the shame to go, could you just like walk around the corner <laughs> to the butchers and I'll just pick you up from outside the butchers. It's like, It's like, no, I want to drive up to school and pick up my girlfriend in her school uniform while she has a uh-huh. science homework in her bag.
1: Yeah, I guess, I just think five years is nothing in a relationship. But five years when one of you is at school and one of you is paying, paying council tax, it's a lot, isn't it?
0: But, you know, at the time, we're talking 19th century, 18th century. Um... Did they
1: have council tax then?
0: <laughs> well, not probably not have council tax. But this was a time when, you know, Heberphilia... No one really had a problem with. So dating a 16-year-old, people probably thought like, oh, your girlfriend's almost past it, mate. She's 16. Yeah. Check out my 13-year-old girlfriend.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I guess people died a lot younger then.
0: All I'm saying, Cathy, is 16 is middle-aged back then. So so get off the guy's back.
1: Yeah, fair days, fair days. So for a bit of background... Percy had been nicknamed Mad Shelley while he was at school, uh, at Eton, of course, because he was a little bit eccentric. He conducted experiments with electricity and gunpowder, and also due to his violent rage in response to being bullied for not participating in fagging, which was initiation in which younger boys would be subservient to the older ones. He then went to Oxford University, where he attended very few lectures and mailed a series of anonymous poems to the bishops and heads of College at Oxford called The Necessity of Atheism which got him expelled from Oxford. What's the most rebellious thing that you did at school, Aidan?
0: The letter to the bishops about atheism. I went to a religious school but I was an atheist quite early and I was an absolute dick to my RE teachers. Mm-hmm. Oh, Actually no, I say dick. I was, I was trying to disrupt the lessons but it was always by asking questions I knew they couldn't answer. Yeah. A girl put her hand up in, in class in RE and said, why didn't Jesus have any female disciples? And before he could answer, I just put my hand up and went, oh, I read on the internet, it's because he was gay. <laughs> and uh, I, I got, it was like the third thing I'd said to needle him that lesson. Yeah. And he just went, go and stand outside my office, Aiden. And I was like, what have I done? Acting <laughs> <laughs> and, on uh And he went, just go to my office. And amazingly, I didn't get bollocked. I just went to the office. And weirdly ended up having a debate with him and this French teacher we shared his office with about like homosexuality. It was weird.
1: Oh, okay.
0: But 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 my RE teacher in that meeting, although he didn't bollock me, he did say something horrendous. He said homosexuality is a twenty-first century disease.
1: Oh fucking hell! Actually said
0: that to me. And I was like. Wow. What is it with these people who think no one bummed each other until January the 1st, 1900? I'm pretty sure gay and straight people have been bumming each other since we first evolved assholes on our little tadpole bottoms when it's crawled out of the ocean.
1: Homosexuality and and bisexuality is in... All species, but homophobia is only in one.
0: Someone's been reading inspirational quotes, set in a nice type font against uh, <laughs> scenic backgrounds.
1: <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying is, if you're both happy with it, just bum and bang away. Do whatever you want. As
0: long as it's consensual, it's sensual. That's that. <laughs> <laughs> that's my phrase.
1: We'll get badges. Yeah, we'll get those
0: printed on some johnnies.
1: <laughs> it's worth noting that at the time, Percy was. "'courting Mary in the graveyard. "'He was moving around quite frequently to avoid debt, uh, "'and he was also married to Harriet Westbrook. "'He had been for three years, with whom he had a daughter, "'and she was also pregnant with their second child, "'a son who was the heir to Percy's fortune. "'On the 26th of June, 1814, Shelley and Godwin "'declared their love for one another. "'As Shelley announced, he could not hide his ardent passion.' leading her in a sublime and rapturous moment to say she felt the same way on either that day or the next. Mary lost her virginity to Shelley, which tradition claims happened in the churchyard, as we've previously mentioned. Uh, Aidan, where do you lose your virginity?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why did I not know that was coming? Uh... But I like that description you gave because it makes it sound genuinely romantic. It does. And not just like two horny teenagers finger-blasting each other (laughs) in the nearest available open space, which just happened to be a graveyard. Uh
1: Uh-huh. Which is exactly what it was.
0: (laughs) Very boring on this. It it was in a bed.
1: Oh, lovely.
0: I wish I could be exciting. I wish I could say it was... uh, on a double-decker bus, or in the Houses of Parliament, or five minutes ago before I started this podcast because I'm a late bloomer, <laughs> but no, just in a bed. Because you know, when you first go, there's a lot of nerves involved. You want to be in a familiar, mm. you want to be in a familiar environment. What about you, Kath? Where were you first penetrating?
1: <laughs> I'll be honest, it was a tailors all the time. Uh, in a, <laughs> you're in a prostitute. A... What? Yeah, yeah. In a torture dungeon uh, with five doms. So, <laughs> uh... That was my second
0: time. to build up to that
1: Why do we keep implying that we've banged? We haven't. (laughs) I guess it it adds a tension to the podcast that some people.
0: It adds a will they, won't
1: they. (laughs) A won't they, won't they element. Yeah, exactly.
0: Which 90% of people respond to because he mentions his wife every episode.
1: All the time. (laughs)
0: And it's very clear that she's too sexually promiscuous for him to go anywhere near her.
1: (laughs) I really want people to think that I have the social skills to manage promiscuity.
0: (laughs) I worry that I am a... Slurped, but it's only female disinterest in me that's stopped me from practicing that. You
1: know what <laughs> yeah, 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 a vindication of the rights of promiscuity,
0: <laughs> also known as whore power.
1: Percy told Mary's father that he planned to leave his wife to marry Mary and was promptly banished from the house. (laughs) So he did the honourable thing and the couple eloped on the 28th of July 1814 for France taking Mary's stepsister Claire Claremont with them. They travelled to Paris and then by donkey, mule, carriage and foot through war-torn France, Germany and Holland. Eventually running out of money and having to turn back they arrived in Gravesend, Kent on the 13th of September 1814 with Mary depressed and pregnant with their first child. Rock and roll! (laughs) When they got back to the UK they moved into Claire's house in Somers Town with Percy often leaving to dodge debt collectors and almost certainly shagging Claire. (laughs) In February 1815 Mary gave birth to a baby girl who was two months premature and she died ten days later. Mary insisted that Claire leave which is fair, uh, and gave birth to a baby boy, William Shelley, just shy of a year later. Shortly after, Mary's half-sister, Fanny Imlay, killed herself with laudanum, having borne the brunt of her stepmother's anger once Mary and Claire had eloped to the continent. This is not a uh, comedy, but...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to blame you for that, Kath, because even though my... My are not exactly on form, but you did start this off by going uh content warning lots of people die in this episode let's have some
1: laughs, <laughs> i did warn you up top what can i say yeah. uh, in may 1816 mary percy and their son william traveled to geneva with pregnant claire and friend of the shore, lord byron who had done that to her <laughs> the weather was terrible caused by the eruption of Mount Tambora in Indonesia, and they began a story-writing exercise, which is where Mary began writing Frankenstein and became the mother of science fiction. Then, luckily, Percy's first wife, Harriet, drowned herself in the serpentine in Hyde Parkers. Pregnant and alone, she'd been abandoned, and this freed Percy up to marry Mary. Swings and
0: roundabouts!
1: (laughs) Absolutely! In early 1817, Mary and Percy moved to Marlow in Buckinghamshire, and Bath. With Mary's sister Claire and her daughter Allegra, Mary was not happy that Claire was there, uh, probably because they were still shagging. Uh, and she gave birth to a daughter, Clara, on the 2nd of September 1817. And Percy was arrested for two days in London for owing debts. It was quite a um, an interesting period of time, I guess. It feels a bit Jeremy Kyle. <laughs> lots of babies, lots of affairs, lots of. Uh, Arrests.
0: What's the mistress called? It's Claire, is it?
1: Yeah, so it's her sister. Oh,
0: God, yeah. <laughs> you can picture the guy at the bottom of the screen. You had an affair with my sister. Mm-hmm. And then she comes on halfway through, like, I don't care if you're the mother of science fiction. You're a motherfucker. <laughs> fuck off.
1: No, fuck you. I fucked your sister. Ah. <laughs> so in January 1818, Frankenstein was published anonymously, and everyone just assumed that it was written uh, by Percy because it was dediqu- dedicated to William Godwin. Uh, and it did not get great reviews. Really? Yeah yeah people did not like it at the time. In March 1818 Mary Percy and their children and Claire with her daughter Allegra moved to Italy to escape debt and scandal. Uh, they had no intention of returning to England. Claire ended up giving custody custody of her daughter to Lord Byron uh, who said that he would raise her on the condition that she would have nothing more to do with her. Claire didn't really have much in the way of resources. They were moving around a lot, so she agreed to this because he did have resources. Um, What she didn't realise, though, was that Lord Byron would just send Allegra away to a Roman Catholic convent, uh, and that's where she died of typhus, aged five, and Claire Whoa. always blamed that on him.
0: I quite like the idea of that as parenting. Just outsource it entirely to, to some nuns.
1: Yeah, to so the Roman Catholics. Because when have they ever hurt a child?
0: Never, exactly.
1: <laughs> they, they lived quite a Roman existence in Italy, with tragedy striking hard and immediately. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hang on a minute, Kath. Are you saying that the tragedy has not all, already struck hard and immediately?
1: Nuh-uh, baby doll. Nuh-uh. The Shelley's daughter, Clara, died in September 1818 in Venice. And then their son, William, died in June 1819 in Rome of malaria. At this point, Mary had lost all three of her children and she fell into a deep depression, giving birth to her fourth child, Percy Florence, five months later on the 12th of November, 1819. Other than that, they had quite a nice time in Italy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Lovely views. Weekends at Lake Como, lovely time. If you if you put out the high rate of infant mortality, it was a wonderful a wonderful summer.
1: (laughs) What's not to love?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You see, this is comedy, Kath. You this is the most you've laughed at any point in all the episodes you've recorded, and it's a a couple losing seventy five percent of their children. I figured that's only. I figure that's only that low, because they have another one afterwards. So it went down to 75 from 100.
1: <laughs> I'm not laughing at the dead children. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just so bad, so consistent. <laughs> I
0: know, it's pretty oh, full on.
1: All these poor people. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yep.
1: Anyway, just give me a moment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you have three kids that have died, on the 4th, What would your attitude be? Would you be really like, I'm determined this one's going to stay alive? Or do you just like, what's the fucking point?
1: That was it, wasn't it? Infant mortality was just really, really high then.
0: (laughs) I I nearly said fun fact then. What I'm about to say is not a fun fact. (laughs) It's a miserable personal fact. My grandma... Had 10 children, but she was pregnant 18 times. Oh, my God. Almost 50% of her children died. This was in the northeast of England in the 1940s, where...
1: That's wild.
0: In our lifetime, that's a woman that I knew and that I was related to, that happened to.
1: And imagine just, like, the mental toll of having to deal with that. Pregnant
0: 17 times. When you look at the, the dates of all the ones that survived, it's like... 944 945 947 948 949 951 just for like 10 to 14 years just every year to 18 months the baby must have been coming out or my granddad's cock must have been going in
1: <laughs> like a reeler.
0: Yeah, the baby shoves the baton in the urethra and the (laughs) cot goes in.
1: (laughs) Oh, God. I'm so glad it's not like that anymore.
0: Literally, some of the people that I'm talking about in this may actually listen to this. I've got aunties who might be like, that was me passing the baton to my dad's (laughs) cot.
1: So anyway, Italy. Aside from losing 75% of their children, they did have quite a nice time in Italy. And since neither of the Shelleys believed in marriage, and certainly not the exclusivity of marriage, they were both shagging around a bit.
0: Adultery is okay as long as it's it's mutual. Mutually assured marriage destruction.
1: Yeah. I think the only reason they actually got married was to sort of uh, make her parents happy. And who can... Honestly, say they've not done that. <laughs> 16th of June, 1822, Mary miscarried a baby, losing so much blood she almost died. LOL! Oh, God. Percy put her in an ice bath to stop the bleeding, which almost certainly saved her life, according to local doctors. Percy comforted his wife in the aftermath of this incident by spending most of his time with his mistress.
0: The ice bath was also like strengthened her abs up a bit. What I'm saying is she just got 5% sexier as a result of this, and I'm 5% closer to banging her.
1: There we go. Well, you're in luck, because uh, <laughs> just shy of a month uh, after her miscarriage, on the 8th of July, 1822, Percy Shelley drowned in a abortion accident, aged 29. Ed, how would you like to die? Falling out of a
0: plane, not being in a plane that's crashing, because yeah. I feel like oh, just being in a plane that's going to crash would be so horrific. And it's, like, one of my worst fears. But if mm. something happened and I was falling out of it, I could at least enjoy the fall. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it'd be a beautiful view and no open casket for you.
0: And you can just sort of pretend you're doing, like, a, a parachute jump, but just with mm. no thing. And when you hit the floor, it would be so fast. You'd just even register. It'd be a glorious yeah. way to go. What about you, Kath?
1: Uh Drug-induced wanking accident. <laughs> oh, I guess from a great height. Because, well, I, I have romantic ideas of it being beautiful but actually i think you would just be like uh screaming in terror throwing up just a fucking mess
0: right not if you combine our two answers i want to change <laughs> i want to change my i want to go out i want to jump out of an airplane and then have an asphyxiated wank in free fall <laughs> so i get the thrill of the wank the thrill of the ejaculation, the thrill Uh of the fall, and then, boom, it's done.
1: Yeah, off your tits. No bother. Yeah. (laughs) Smoke a big old doobie before you go down. Mind you, if you free
0: fall, how do you light the doobie? You know when you try and light a cigarette, like, in the wind? That's going to be tough.
1: Oh, no, do that
0: before. The the free fall's going to put the doobie out, so you're going to have to cut the air, but not, like, horizontally like you do normally, vertically.
1: Smoke the spliff on the plane. On the way up. Jesus Christ, Aiden. Just
0: as you're taking off
1: yeah. eat your space
0: cake, in the gate, and then you're high by the time you're having your airborne fixie went.
1: I love how it's a commercial airline that you're doing this
0: <laughs> <off>. <laughs> I suppose that if I'm going to do this, I'd have to rent privately, wouldn't I? Yeah. Uh, just took myself off before I get myself off.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just to recap at this point, Mary, she's a widow. She's lost three children. Uh, She's got one living child. She's had a terrible miscarriage that almost killed her. Uh, she's been moving around the continent continuously, multiple scandals. She's become the mother of science fiction. How old do you think she is at this point, Aidan? If you're enjoying this
0: comedy podcast, please like and review <laughs> us on uh, your podcast <laughs> app of choice. It really helps with the with stats and the figures. Well, I sort of think you gave me a clue because you mentioned her husband died at 29. Oh, hang on, we know she's younger, don't we? She's five years younger. Yeah. Yeah. So, tw- 24.
1: She's 24. Fuck okay. <laughs>
0: Huck. At 24, I think the worst thing that had happened to me was like I bought a new CD and all the little teeth that come inside the CD packaging were <laughs> broken off. That's the worst thing that happened to me. This woman's life, Jesus Christ.
1: I know and I'm aware that I've been laughing quite a lot in this episode <laughs> at what is truly, truly tragic but it's not, I just, I get the giggles because it's so not funny.
0: You know? Hit novel, though. Hit novel. And it wasn't
1: even a hit, though, was it? Because it
0: was critically slammed. Mm, yeah. So she's, she's lost all these kids, and she's got 0% on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: Uh, for, no one thinks that she wrote the book. They all think that it was a dead husband.
0: Well, the thing is, if you've got 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, you'd be like, yep, yep, he wrote it. But nothing to do with me. <laughs>
1: She stayed with friends in Geneva for a year following her husband's death, but on the 23rd of July, 1823, she moved back to London with her son to stay with her father and her stepmother. Both sets of grandparents tried to get her to give her son to them as guardians, uh, but she rejected this idea, which limited her financially and socially somewhat. She moved to Kentish Town in 1824 to be near Jane Williams, who she was a little in love with, where she wrote the book The Last Man, which is about a global pandemic in the 21st century. Uh, really? Mm, yeah. So she
0: was Nostradamus as well. Mm, yeah. Uh, how, how accurate was the prediction? Did people spend 18 months indoors watching? uh korean dramas on netflix or was it not that accurate she was,
1: she was talking about the tiger king which
0: nobody <laughs>
1: <laughs> knew anything about They didn't even know what a fucking tiger was um, <laughs> no i think they did in 1826 the american actor john howard payne proposed to mary but she rejected saying after being married to one genius she could only marry another which is fucking cutting that's
0: a bit of a slam that's like are you Daniel Day-Lewis no then fuck off then (laughs) what's the worst rejection you've ever had and was it I would kiss you but we're on a plane and you're shitting your guts out so I'm not going to do it
1: (laughs) yeah it was weird Um, (laughs) so I I always think that in order to be feminist women should put themselves out for rejection as well so I always have believed strongly in asking guys out if I'm into them uh, and have done uh, you know because I think that that's only fair.
0: And as a result, here is a list of 100 rejections. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Just in the past fortnight.
1: Well, yeah, I think I've probably been rejected a little more than maybe the average uh, woman.
0: But you're taking the risk, so that's cool.
1: Yeah, sometimes it's worked out nicely. Sometimes uh, it's been absolutely heartbreaking. Oh. But what I will say is, ladies, ask guys out. Don't yeah. sit there and wait for it, you know. Take
0: you your... could be rejected dozens of times too, like Hathersby. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's great. Live the feminist Ooh. dream. But I just think that if you really want to embrace feminism, you've got a, an inequality, you have to do that because... Is this
0: basically like along the same lines of thinking of like, you can't expect to have the door held open for you and be like a proper feminist? Is that the line you're going down or not?
1: I guess so, yeah. I think... I always offer to split things on dates. Some, I just—it's that's a quality, isn't it? And if someone wants to buy me a drink, then fucking great. But I wouldn't expect them to because I make my own money, and I don't want to owe anybody anything.
0: I'm on the same page as that. So when I, I don't open the door for me. In fact, I actively, if I've just gone through first, I then shut it. Yeah. So then they have to open it themselves again. Ideally in their face as well. So actually like clips their nose slightly.
1: Mm Mhm. We like that. Yeah. That's how we know that you're into us when you do that kind of thing. Oh, did I ever, I, I did have to explain the concept of ghosting to my mother when it happened to me once. I don't know if I've mentioned that on the podcast already. No. But I know that she does listen to it and will be very embarrassed to hear this. Was it you
0: saying to your mum, Mum, what you did to me was called ghosting. (laughs) And it's really rude to do that to your own daughter.
1: Please, I just need my rent paying again. (laughs) Uh... No, it was, so I'd uh, been ghosted on a dating app. It's uh, happened sometimes, and, and it, it could be a little bit hurtful. Uh, he chose a very strange time to do it. And uh, I told my mum that I'd been ghosted, and she like, what does that mean? And I was like, it's where they just disappear, and you can't contact them. And she was like, what? So he climbed out of the toilet window. And I was <laughs> like, well, <laughs> I guess digitally he did. <laughs> anyway, during this time in Town Mary was working as a writer and editor, practising her mother's feminist principles by helping women that society disapproved of. For example, she helped her friend Isabel Robinson and Isabel's lover married Diana Dodds, who was herself illegitimate and a single mother, to embark on a life together in France as husband and wife. Uh, so I think one was pretending to be husband, because uh, it wasn't okay then to to just love who you love. Mary's son, Percy, was the only one of her children to survive into adulthood. He went to Harrow School, then Cambridge, then travelling with his mother in the late 1840s. She was targeted by three separate blackmailers in the mid-1840s, threatening to publish private letters, but she seemed to have come out of that unscathed. From 1839, she suffered from headaches and bouts of paralysis in parts of her body, which sometimes prevented her from reading and writing. On the first of february eighteen fifty one at Chester Square, she died aged fifty three, from what her physician suspected was a brain tumour. Started shit, ended shit. She did not have a good time of it, so Would would I <laughs> <her>. die? Would, <she laughs> would you mind would you? this
0: miserable woman? <laughs> um yes. I think I would. We often talk about projects on this podcast. Would you take on a project? Mm -hmm. Do you want to take on a lot of emotional baggage and try and fix someone? It's sort of not unreasonable to not have that put on you. She doesn't sound like she's wearing her misery on her sleeve, right? She just seems to have an onwards and upwards attitude. She's having other relationships. She's going on holiday with the son.
1: Maybe that's quite good. yeah.
0: She's strong in the face of adversity.
1: She is, and she seems to have put her money where her mouth is. You know, she's helped other people um, who needed help. She's Lived by her mum's feminist ways.
0: She's very sexually active, yes please. Mm
1: Mm-hmm, she'd be up for it. Just
0: not always with her husband.
1: Though he wasn't as well, so I think... I think if you knew your husband was banging around, you'd be like, well, I'm taking this golden ticket, baby.
0: (laughs) I worry that... uh, You know I was talking about her weirdly sloped shoulders? Mm -hmm. I worry that 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 sloping effect then sort of reconnects at the bottom.
1: (laughs) She's like a shuttle. Yeah,
0: she's just shaped like a shuttle or just like a massive egg or something. Uh-huh. That's my concern. But there's only one way for me to find that out. Yeah. And that is to go to bed with her. Even if it's just for the curiosity of where that infinity shoulder ends. Yes, I will bang Mary Shelley.
1: She's on the biotap that
0: She is on the biotech that Street. <laughs> This is the end of this season, listeners. But we are going to do more. We're going to do more episodes. We're going to release some bonus bangs uh, to keep you ticking over until that time returns. But Kath, I might have to do some fucking Nazis or something in the second season because literally five of the six people we've discussed have got on the biotech lattice Street. (laughs) The only one of the six that we didn't agree to ban was Thomas Becker, the Archbishop of Canterbury, which Mm -hmm. suggests either we're picking people who are too pure, too admirable, too heroic, too damn sexy, or... We're just fucking desperate and gagging for it. So whoever we present to each other, like, would you bang it? <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I would. I don't care who it is. I'll bang them.
1: Oh my god! Please, yes. <laughs> But we've not given you the picture yet. Yeah, exactly. I'll find some horrendous
0: currents from history Mm -hmm. to really test your horniness next season, guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. It'll be like Behind the Bastards, but it'll be Bang the Bastards. Yeah.
0: This is uh, Adolf. He is 58, and he's from (laughs) Austria.
1: My sources. for this episode, I would highly recommend going visiting the uh, House of Frankenstein Mary Shelley Museum in Bath, which is where I, I learnt most of this stuff from. Got a lovely little gift shop, if that's what you're into. A uh,
0: £15 bookmark, yes, please. Historical hot or
1: not? I I guess that's it from us.
0: Yes. Thanks for listening. Please spread the word. Review us on the pod app of your choice. If you can't review on your podcast app, which is true of some things, like I don't think you can do it on Pocket Casts. Mm -hmm. I think you can actually just go to the Apple Store or whatever it's called on a browser. Just review us. We'd really, really appreciate it. Tell all your friends Mm -hmm. and all that jazz. And remember, it's not what's on the outside. It's what's up the inside of the coffin that
1: counts. Stay sexy.
0: Stay horny, stay sexy, and we'll see you in the next season in two or three months, whenever we can be asked to make six more of these.
1: Yeah, it's... It really is very time-consuming. <laughs> Bye! You have been listening to Historical Hot or Not. If you'd like to contribute, we would fucking love that. So you can find us. We're at Coffee, Buy us a coffee. Uh, don't send it to us personally. It'll be cold by then. Uh, but it's ko-b.com forward slash hotnutpod. Uh, send us some coffee. Not real coffee. Send us the money for coffee episodes written by Aidan McCaffrey and Catherine Nather. our wonderful logo is by Richard Todd and all music by David Eagle